it doesn't matter where I go, I'm going to be compared to my brother. But here's my point. And this came up a couple of different times in my life. I had to look myself in the mirror and say, what do I want? What does Patrick McEnroe want to do? What's my passion? Do I want it? I know I'm not going to be number one in the world, but I know I can be pretty damn good. This is The Playbook. This is David Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook, and I am so excited because this is one of my favorite people that I've gotten to talk to, especially recently, Patrick McEnroe. You all know who he is, but he's a renowned sportscaster, obviously. He has his own podcast called Holding Court, which is perfect for uh, recovering lawyers as well as athletes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And he is a professional tennis player himself, a former professional tennis player. Welcome to Entrepreneurs, The Playbook. David, it's awesome to be with you. You know what's so interesting being around sports for so many years is that, you know, we have these platforms that we have to raise awareness to the truth. And do you ever, and I know we were speaking last time about your friend in China uh, who has seemingly been silenced, uh, at least has made appearances so we know that she's alive um, and obviously a very political uh, circumstance there. Do you ever get afraid, you know, as you speak the truth, do you ever get afraid? And I will tell you that I have repeated our conversation to many people within sports and outside of sports. And the first thing is, Hey, you got to keep your eye on Patrick. He may disappear. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm like, that doesn't cross my mind, but I think it takes an amount of courage to expose certain things because, you know, federal governments and governments in general you know, that, that's a serious game. That's a, that's a lot more serious than, you know, the Grand Slam. That, that's a serious game because they take things uh, to the next level and you can disappear no matter where you live. Do any of those thoughts ever cross your mind as you're talking about these truths? They cross my wife's mind. She's like, honey, are you sure you should be talking about this? Uh, we got to take care of, I got to take care of, we got to take care of our, our daughters. Um, of course, it crosses your mind, but, you know, we do, even though there's a lot of, issues in our own country, right? We do live in the United States of America, right? Which I'm very proud to say, you know, I was one of the you know, proudest things I ever did was to be the United States Davis Cup captain, which meant representing the country uh, and traveling all over the world. And I took that as a real source of pride that uh, I was able to, you know, in a small way in my little world of tennis represent the country. So, so and, and for better or worse, and some of my best friends who are, uh, are smarter than me, say, you know, I trust my country. You know, I, I trust, you know, there, I know there's a lot of issues, you know, politically in our country. People say, oh, really? You, you just, you're like a sheep. You just trust the government. I say, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, don't we have to trust somebody? So, you know, when it comes to the vaccine, for example, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons that people have to take the vaccine or not to take it. You know, your health, the health of your family, your community. Um, and the other one is like, doing the right thing because your government said this is the right thing to do and because we all want to move on. So, you know, obviously that's a separate hot, hot topic for us. But for me, I, you know, this has become a passion of mine to, I mean, Peng Shui, I, I know her personally. I don't know her that well, but I, I played on the same team with her in World Team Tennis. And, you know, having followed to her story and then speaking to people that have spoken out for much longer and far more vociferously than I ever have, who are doing this the same thing, whether it's China, whether, you know, whether, anywhere, whatever it is, that these, these issues are happening in places around the world. And it's like, 
I mean, at the end of the day, if we don't at least speak up, I mean, what, what can I do? I'm just a tennis guy. You know, we're covering tennis and doing a podcast. It's like, I mean, really, they're going to they're going to listen to me. And even CNN, the times I was on talking about this story, they said to me one morning, oh, you know, Patrick, now that we're talking about this story, they blacked it out in China, you know, because they get <laughs> CNN International like you're now blacked out. They're not able to watch it. I mean, I find I find that problematic. Right. Just for the world. I mean, so, again, I'm just a little player in this whole story. And there are other people that have spoken out, as I said, uh, about lots of issues and their life is about that. So I've spoken to some of those people. And so my respect level for them has grown you know, through the roof. And so I'm just trying to do my part. I commend the Women's Tennis Association for stepping up and standing up for what's right, particularly when many people don't you know, many entities, many corporations. And look, we all know that we are intertwined in this global economy, not just with China. You could, you know, say other countries in the Middle East that have their own issues, right, when it comes to human rights. And here we are. This is not to say, like, we should never do anything with China again. Well, we can't. That's impossible. But if you don't do something or if you don't say something, I guess you'll just never be heard. And trust me, when I tell you this, having spoken to some Chinese experts, Peng Shui is a prisoner in her own country. I mean, that's just a reality, that she's a prisoner. She may be physically safe, we hope anyway, because we haven't seen her for a while, but she's basically imprisoned in her own house. They're monitoring everything she does and says. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point that is intertwined in sports is that, you know, we can love our country, we can trust our country and other countries. We can love other countries and trust other countries. But I think America is based on vetting. And that's what makes you such a great analyst. Uh, you know, it's something, this idea of being more interested than interesting that, look, we're built on the fact that we need to question things. And I know there's certain countries and other religions even that are based on asking why. And I want people to realize that, you know, as you say, you, you just trust a company, country, you also vet, you know, and you're a very intelligent person that asks a lot of questions so that you can form an opinion based on trust and love of our country for the betterment of not only our country, but the world. And obviously in America, let me shift gears a little bit, because I have four brothers and a sister. All of them went to the Ivy Leagues, uh, Harvard, two, two of them. My, my dream school was your school, uh, Stanford. I probably didn't right. deserve, I didn't deserve to get into undergrad there, but uh, law school, I definitely had a, a, a good shot at it, and they rejected me twice. So my two younger brothers purposely, I think, rejected uh, Stanford, and they called it their their backup school to go to Harvard and Penn. Uh, and, and, and I know it was out of ego just to even lower you know, their opinion of me. Uh, but more importantly, I find it interesting in the energetic and genetic inheritance that you grow up in the same family. And you know, my brother, who's summa cum laude at Harvard, people ask me all the time, oh, you're not as smart as he is. No, my brother actually worked harder and focused in on academics far more than I did. And, you know, fortunately, as I get into my 50s, we have great inquisitive conversations that I hold my own academically and intelligently. But there is a certain quantum, you know, energetic and genetic inheritance. And your brother, obviously the best tennis player in the world at one time, you being more like me, you know, 42nd in the world, I'm way worse. I'm average division three. <laughs> uh, but you know, you do get compared to uh, because of the energetic and genetic uh, inheritance. Where do you think the differentiator was between you and your brother that made him the best in the world and just you one of the best in the world? 
Well, first of all, because he's genetically better. I mean, just he's <laughs> faster. He's faster. He's quicker, and he's just a better overall athlete, and and probably stronger up here too. But there are a couple a couple of things I want to tell you, David, because I think you know I kind of see where you're going with this. And for me, these were sort of milestones that I remember in my life, as far as what I wanted to do, because obviously. I was John's little brother. I'm still John. I have another brother, by the way, named Mark, who's in the middle. He's my older brother, too. And so I looked up to both of them and I followed their path. You know, whatever they did, I played sports with them. I, I, I bothered my brother, Mark. Can you throw the football around with me, throw the baseball? So I was five years old and I have a picture on my desk at our tennis academy in New York. And I'm, there's, a, there's a group of young tennis players. And I'm the little guy on the left, and it's with the coaches and some um, administrators of this tennis academy. And it literally says, David, in the caption below, you know, names a few of the players. And then it said, young chap on the left is five-year-old Patrick McEnroe, brother of highly ranked 12-year-old John McEnroe. Okay, so this was following me from a very young age. And then I remember being in Nashville, Tennessee playing in a big junior tennis tournament. And I was one of the best, you know, junior players in the country. I was 14 or 15 at the time. This photographer came out on the court to take pictures. And I was doing pretty well in the tournament. I was in the round of 16 or the quarterfinals. You know, I was a really good junior player. And my, at that point, my brother was, was already world famous, number one in the world and so on. So this photographer came out and he's just sitting there. He's not taking any pictures. I'm like, this is weird, you know? So I'm up like six, two, five, three. And the other guy starts coming back and it gets to five, four, five all. Next thing you know, I'm down six, five. I take my racket, Dave, and I just kind of throw it on the ground. All of a sudden I hear click, 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 click pictures, pictures, <laughs> like everything. I end up winning the match. The next day, the front page of the Tennessean, the big local newspaper, so the middle of summer. So there's not a lot going on. So they've got the local tennis tournament on the front page of the sports section. And there's a picture of me, oh, brother, smashing my racket. And I was pretty mild-mannered for the most part. So that was one moment where I realized, holy shit. Like, my, and my dad used to say to me, don't, don't act bad because, you know, people are watching you more closely. They're paying more attention to you. So I was like, yeah, I guess he's right. And so that followed me. And when I was getting recruited to go to college, because I was one of the top recruits in the country for tennis, uh, Stanford was one of the schools, and there were a few other schools as well. You know, the big California schools at that time were dominating college tennis. And I remember one of the uh, rival coaches saying to me, Patrick, you don't want to go to Stanford because, you know, you're going to be compared to your brother. Because my brother had gone and played for one year at Stanford. And I thought to myself, I said, it doesn't matter where I go, I'm going to be compared to my brother. <laughs> but here, here's, here's my point, and this came up a couple different times in my life. I had to look myself in the mirror and say, what do I want to do? What does Patrick McEnroe want to do? What's my passion? Do I want to, I know I'm not going to be number one in the world, but I know I can be pretty damn good and I can make a career playing tennis. Same thing when I got into broadcasting. My brother was already in broadcasting and I started, I said, oh, you're following your brother's footsteps. Okay. I mean, to some extent, <laughs> yes. Um, and definitely being John's brother helped me and in, in get my foot in the door in television. But I think now after, you know, 25 plus years, I've proven that, you know, I earned my keep. So there was this, these moments that came up at different junctures in my life 
even when I graduated from Stanford, David, I actually took the law boards thinking I was going to go to law school because my mom used to say to me, oh, Patrick, uh, I don't know if you should play t- tennis because, you know, you're not going to be as good as your brother. No shit. OK, he's number one. And my brother, to his uh, credit, was always telling my mom to stay out of it. Shut up. Let Patrick do what he wants to do. So I got my I took my law boards the day after I graduated from Stanford because I had a whole plan to play tennis that summer. So it's like, I got to do this. And people are like, you sure you want to do it the day after graduation? You know, you got it. You're studying, you're partying. So, of course, I take the law boards. I get my scores back, David. I look at my scores. I show them to my mom. She says, I think you should stick with tennis, son. <laughs> That's smart. <laughs> I, I have a, a similar that my older brothers were doctors and the old joke was that, you know, I'd be president of the United States someday and my mom would be in the front row and say, but my other son's a doctor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And then worse, my younger brother that went to Harvard became a rabbi. That trumps being a doctor in a Jewish family. So like right. I, be, I am now officially the rabbi's brother in San Diego. So I have no name. I have no success in my life. Uh, coming to the last uh, question, you know, as an, an analyst, as a broadcaster and as a brother, and as a competitive athlete yourself, we have to make a transition from, you know, celebrity ourselves, this competitive uh, self, you know, absorbed person in our own career to truly the best. uh, And you are one of them to be a celebrant and, you know, celebrate other people because it comes across in broadcasting in your podcast when you truly are celebrating the sport or celebrating the athletes themselves where some people come across and they're still competitive. They're they're scarce in their mindset. And not only does it happen internally in our families, but to be a broadcaster and an analyst, it's especially important to learn to shift that energy to be able to celebrate other people. I watch you and I say, I love that part of Patrick. He he truly, you know, when he talks about paying, when when you talk about other people, you're celebrating them. You're celebrating our country. Did you have to make that transition or because of the situation with your older brother, were you always forced into being more of a celebrant than a celebrity yourself? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's probably a mix of both of those. And I think uh, I always had that, that temperament a little bit. And I have to say, I give my wife, Melissa Erico, who's a, who's a great singer and performer, huge credit for helping. Every time I've had sort of a couple of these crossroads, like she's been there for me and supported me. And one of those was when I retired from tennis, from playing. And I just sort of started dabbling in broadcast. And I remember, you know, I was sort of sitting around the apartment that we, we, our first apartment we had together before we had kids. And I remember her sort of kind of pulling me aside at one point and saying, you know, you're sitting around watching a lot of TV. Like, what are you going to do? Like, what do you want to do? And so when I had the opportunity to get the Davis Cup job, you know, she knew that was a huge moment for me because that was something I always dreamed of doing. And so she helped me sort of navigate, you know, I had to write this long essay to the USDA. And similarly, actually very recently, David, as I took my podcast in a different direction because of, yes, my own interest, my own uh, desire to do something sort of outside of tennis, that's connected to tennis and, and talk to people like you, for example, people that are hugely successful, hear from them, learn from them, listen to them. And so when this started to happen in these last few months, uh, and the Pung situation, the Djokovic situation, and I really dove into it. And again, my wife, like, you know, there's a lot of times when she knows I'm doing my thing, she's doing her thing, we, we, let, we give each other our space, but all of a sudden she like 
she got right in there with me again because she knew she could see my passion to, to, to do something a little bit outside of the box. Uh, so I love her very much for that. I'm very grateful that, you know, we're, we're together. We got three awesome girls, daughters. So those moments have happened again, whether they were me personally and then, you know, with my family. Um, and I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to sort of be able to grasp those moments when they come and see them and kind of take my life in the in the direction where I've kind of been headed. And then all of a sudden it's like, OK, I'm going I'm going for it. <laughs> I love the fact that you answer my question about you celebrating others by exemplifying celebrating your wife, which to me is something that I have learned to do in my 20, almost 25 years of marriage. And I think most of the uh, most passionate, purposeful and even profitable people have that type of intimate relationship. So I love the fact that you just exemplified it by celebrating <laughs> the most important person in your life. As always, you're incredible. Patrick McEnroe, check out Holding Court. It's an incredible podcast. You can see him all over ESPN, all over tennis. We all know where to find Patrick McEnroe. But if you haven't downloaded that podcast, please do it because you get these insights that can apply to your normal life that you don't have to be a Djokovic or a Peng in order to facilitate the lessons and stories that Patrick utilizes to help us all. Patrick McEnroe, thank you so much for sharing your playbook. 